0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. It's great to be back. Um, I tell you what, we did something we had never done. We went on vacation with like four other couples, and uh, and that also included seventeen kids. If you've never done it, you got to try it at least once. I said, people ask me, "How did your vacation go?" I said, "It went. I had a fun time." Don't ask me if I relaxed. But I had a fun time, so it was great, but it's great to be back today and and be with you and um I was joking in the first service also i i uh I was mowing my yard this week or my push mower you know or it's actually self propelled I won't even tell you I push it, you know but um I'm mowing up up to a speed limit sign in my yard and my head's down, you know, you're trying to get as close as you can to those things, you don't want to have to weed eat as much as, so you're, well I had no idea, you know, that the sign's up there, and, and, uh, and I bumped the sign, and, I, and all of a sudden, uh, it all broke loose, because in that sign was a nest of yellow jackets, and my head's down, I don't know what's going on, bumping and all of a sudden, I mean, they are going to town on my ear, and, um, Probably would have been something that would have been good for video, cause I I look up, I you know, I uh, this thing, I look up, I see all these things. Man, I just abandoned the mower. I let the <laughs> I let it go, I was running, I was holding my ear. So anyway, but my ear's really been out of whack all week, you know, like swollen and then and it just itches now. And this thing is like really like I just wanna do that the whole time. And so I'll try not to be too distracting if I do that, but that's what's going on with that. And I'm all messed up from stings, but just want one more week to share with you about this whole this whole idea, this summer thing. Appreciate Ken um, speaking last week. And uh, so what we're gonna look at today, um, I just tried to be gracious to Ken because I didn't want him to have to, first time speaking, like having to dive into this stuff. So it's gonna be one of those um, uh, Sundays, when you look at what you're speaking on, you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be, and I'm like, it's going to be quiet. I know it's going to be quiet, but let's just jump right in. I, I, just reminding you, the big deal, the, the greater Jesus plus nothing equals everything is okay, so there's questions about Jesus to these people. There's questions about Jesus and our Culture. In every age, Jesus has always been questioned. Uh, what is that guy? What did he do? Is he really who he said he is? is uh, and Paul has just systematically uh, made arguments for why Jesus is who he said he was. He holds all things together, all that stuff in, in Colossians 1 and 2. But really the big idea of what he's getting to is the fact that yes, Jesus is who he said he is. Uh, you don't need to look anywhere else. And I would say that today. We don't need to be looking at anything else except for Jesus Christ his gospel his word his truth but you know what he has he is it but the idea is the mystery is here I go <clears throat> the, uh, the truth is what we need to really grab a hold of is <clears throat> that he is now made it able for his Holy Spirit to live in us. That's the big deal. The greater Jesus comes into our lives and gives us the ability to live a greater life. His life, the life he intended for us to live, the life that, man, when you live it, you realize this is why I was created this is what I was designed for. This is where life makes sense. And as he's leading, guiding my life, and I'm, I'm able to, to be fulfilled by what he always intended me to be fulfilled by, and, and he's giving me purpose and meaning, direction, you just begin to step back and say, wow, this is how, this is what I was created for. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, giving us life, giving us the, now the ability to have victory or power over our destructive, sinful nature. That self-centered principle within us that just wants me, mine, and it doesn't matter, and it always ends. In- causes us to end up in a mess, in chaos, broken, empty. But Jesus now in my life is giving me victory over that. And I'm beginning to live a life that, wow, I, wow. Are you serious? This I, I never saw this. I never thought this was possible. And he's kind of Through chapter three, as we've looked at, he's shown us how that lives out in our lives, how we can be free from these different areas that always seem to entangle us and and cause us to make decisions that that are empty. Sorry. And so, for most of this chapter, it's been, what does Jesus, the greater one, do in my life, last week uh, we saw how he's, he's taking us from our sinful nature and he's, he's uh, making words like compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. They become a part of who we are. But now he takes, he furthers it and he broadens it and he helps us to see how does it work not only just in my heart, but how does it work in my home, so so to speak? And so I get the really fun task to, today of speaking on some scriptures that I guarantee you are some of the most misunderstood, misrepresented uh, scriptures out there. I hear people who are not Christians or who are actually um, Antagonistic toward the faith, we use this, especially this first scripture we're gonna look at, as a way that the Bible is outdated and it's, a, uh, it's a, a book that shouldn't be trusted and it's got an agenda and and all this stuff when really in actuality the truth that we're gonna share this morning, yes, it is God's way of looking at the home but it is exactly what, when it, and it works, it is the most harmonious and beautiful thing. And it absolutely brings life, breathes life into a home, into a marriage, into a family. And um, it works. It works. But it's so misunderstood. Watch this. I'm about ready to read this verse. You're gonna see how misunderstood it is. Wives... You know what's coming, don't you? We love this word, right? Submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. I would want you to notice this if you have a Bible or as we read through this. In this section, there are a number of phrases that are like this. As is fitting in the Lord... For this pleases the Lord, um, as working for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You have a master in heaven. There's just these phrases that it's like as the writer, Paul is writing to these people and he's, he's giving this instruction. He's also reminding them that you are to access and have a mindset and a point of view that is not, how does that jive with my culture? It is a mindset and a perspective that's always what is God's plan, God's formula, God's design. My 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 thing is how does not how does that fit with what I'm used to? It's what does God have going on? What does He intend? What does He want to accomplish? And the first thing is He, he comes in and says, All right, your life's different. I'm empowering you. And now I'm going to move into this realm of the home. And how does this work in our homes? And the first instruction He gives is this, this instruction to, to wives. And He uses this word submit yourselves. And to your husband. I'm going to make some disclaiming statements right now, okay? Um, just so kind of easier to work through this faster. Um, the Bible never teaches inequality or inferiority, okay? Never teaches inequality or inferiority. In fact, Christianity has actually been, if you study, do sociological studies through cultures through the history of mankind guess who has been the biggest proponent of women's rights christianity he's speaking into a culture right here where women were considered property that doesn't sound very pleasant does it sounds awful awful the romans treated it that way the greeks treated it that way every culture treated stuff like this so when you read this verse and people are like what's that you know what remember that the really the fostering of the legitimacy of what god had always intended for there to be equal sexes was born in christianity it's Jesus Christ himself appearing to who first? Women. Women couldn't even testify in a courtroom in Jesus' day. Their testimony wasn't valid. It wasn't considered legitimate. Jesus Christ is doing what? The first test, the, who are my first witnesses? Who's going to witness to me first? First? women he's already turning what was a darkened sinful culture on its head by trying to bring it back to its original design and that design is that all are created equal male and female amen so don't read this verse and think what you know I would also say something like this. Submit does not mean that the husband is the ultimate authority over his wife. What I mean by that is there is no sense in which a a husband should compel or should have, uh, based on this verse, the right to uh, take his wife or lead his wife into sinful behavior or that which would violate God's principle, right? It does not mean that some, in some way, this verse doesn't mean that men are more valuable, are more competent, are more gifted, or intelligent. Okay? So can we just miss those things? Um, I feel like I have to do that because of the culture we live in. Because that verse, guess what that verse, guess where that verse is not? That's not in any of our universities, okay? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands but I think it's been so misrepresented and misunderstood. I would also make this, it's real quiet in here, I knew it would be. (laughs) You're waiting for what I'm gonna say next. Um, This verse is not a verse for men to use. This verse doesn't say men tell your wives to submit, does it? I've heard a lot of guys use this verse, or some guys. It's not man, man's place to make their wives submit. This is a verse to women, a call from God. It's not, hey, I'm gonna use this as a, a, some kind of bully club, right? You remember what the scriptures say. You should never use this verse with your wife, okay? It's not your place. It's not what it was intended for. And this is also not submission to men in general, right? It didn't say women submit to men, did it? It says wives submit to your husband. So it's not, hey, women, you submit to, it's, it's a specific context, right? Everybody is getting a little bit antsy. <laughs> I kind of, I have a morbid uh, enjoyment of this a little bit. <laughs> it's fun to watch you squirm a little bit because you <laughs> Now, for me, if you're like me, submit carries a severe connotation. I mean, honestly, we're using this word in our culture for like UFC, right? It's like, what is the deal in UFC? I'm gonna get in a cage, I'm gonna fight with somebody until I get them to what? That's what they're using on TV. They use this word, submission. So I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what in the world? Wives, submit to your husband. It's like this? This? Because that's the kind of way we think of submission, right? I've never done that to Nicole. Is the scriptures telling, no. No, What it carries a severe connotation. And so, as I was kind of fleshing this out again, and I've been through this, I intentionally this week referenced women. Women on their take on this on on their experience with this on their how does this work what does this mean how does it roll okay and so because I kind of feel weird preaching on this first I'm going to be honest I'm a 37 year old male and it's kind of weird to preach on wives submit to your husband one of you ladies should be speaking on this right now okay but um I love this from MacArthur the emphasis here is not on the idea of obedience as an authoritative, overbearing, brow relation, relationship. In fact, the word obedience is referred in this passage for others, for children, for servants. He doesn't use the word obey here. The word submission is reserved for wives. It has a more cooperative concept tied to it. It isn't the idea that a man's firing out orders and the woman's obeying him. It's the idea that you have a spirit of submissiveness. And I like Ephesians 5.33 for me working through all this. This verse says it best, makes the most sense. It Kind of helps me to grab, wrap my mind around it when he says this, Why, uh, however each of you, remember this is the context where he said the same words, wives submit, husband's love, Ephesians chapter five, verse 11 verses. Um, And in fact, he says a lot more about husband's loving loving than he does wives submit, but we're gonna get there. But here's what he says as he wraps it up. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Respect is the word that's given. And um, I like what Mary Cassian says, a Christian writer, uh, a a woman, submission is not as much an action as it is an attitude. It can't be dictated by behavioral prescriptives. Submission boils down to having a spirit of amenability. It means being receptive, responsive, and agreeable. Because of the misconceptions surrounding this word, uh, she said, I like to use the word respect or amenability. It, that word is, is a woman who is leadable as opposed to ungovernable. She's responsive to input and likely to cooperate. It actually carries with it the idea of First Peter, which uh, as, as women are, are called to there to, be, uh, to have gentleness, calmness, and amenability um and basically as she's writing this she's she writes this so what does it look like on an ongoing basis for me to do this it's I love responding to my husband's lead I respect who God created him to be as a man and I support his efforts efforts to provide godly oversight for our family I respect the position of responsibility that goes along with being in a husband and a father. Respect is probably the best word to describe what submission looks like in my marriage. If you've ever read the book Love and Respect, uh, to me it's one of the best books ever written on marriage. It's exactly this kind of idea. that, That the call is for women to respect your husbands and i'm going to jump in a little bit here okay but for whatever reason or this seems to be the case because this is called this is called not just here not just in ephesians it's not just isolated references to this it's throughout the new testament for whatever reason it can be and i'm speaking as a man okay but it seems to be it can be easy for women to when things get off kilter in a marriage to become To live without respect for their husband. Am I right, ladies? No, don't answer. And that, that, that fleshes out in ways, because men speak the language of respect. That's our language. We, we want to be respected. That's part of the whole God-given male ego type deal. And, and obviously, that can get way out of whack, right? But there's also the healthy ego. And, we, and so, one of the ways that a marriage starts to have problems is when there is the, the, the what I would say, disrespect that comes from the female in the marriage, and when that happens, it just starts to it starts to break things down. Um, <clears throat> okay, so you still with me? Yep. No one's walked out yet. <laughs> because I want to balance this with off balance this with what is the next verse? Husbands love your wives. If you were to read the parallel passage in Ephesians, you would see that Paul continues this theme even, it makes it even more vivid to us when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. This is a deep, sacrificial Go to whatever ends possible to love my wife. See, there is this balance, and he's saying, Listen, I want the greater way for you, the greater life, and this even impact, impacts how it's fleshed out in your families. And the thing that seems to snag us up, ladies, is we have a tendency to become disrespectful in a marriage when things aren't going right. And men, when a marriage isn't going right or for whatever reason it's easy to morph or to trend or to fall off track when you just stop being loving. When you do not self-sacrificially love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now I would say doesn't it make perfect sense that if a husband is loving his wife to that degree is there gonna be any kind of issue for a wife to want to follow his lead? Absolutely not. And the same can be said. You see, this isn't about inequality or some kind of inferiority. It's just about the roles that God designed for the marriage. Now, listen, I have found that um, this is, marriage truly is a partnership. It absolutely is. The best marriages I observe, I see, uh, there is not a sense of a man taking uh, this idea of leading in a dictatorial way. Not a healthy marriage. It will not be a healthy marriage. And by the same token, I never see healthy marriages where the wife is always questioning, unagreeable, always you know, always downplaying, always ripping him, or always whatever, um, and that creating a healthy dynamic. Amen? That's right. Now, but what I would tell you is... See, we live in a culture and unfortunately has pervaded the church. Radical feminism that's come uh, way out and, and, and you know what radical feminism wants to do? It wants to not, It's not about equality. It's about this now. Where for forever, it was a man's world and it was unequal and it was wrong. Women didn't even vote till the 20s. That just blows my mind. You realize that? Somebody here don't don't admit that you lived during that time. You didn't get to vote. No, It really, but the pendulum has swung, right, from one extreme, which was wrong, to another. And so you and I live in the middle of a culture where the other extreme. And so when I say something like even say the words, wives submit, husbands love, I mean, it's like, ah! They would want to eat me. And I'm saying, where in the world was balance and common sense all along? Because that's exactly where the scriptures have always rested. And there is no marriage where one is taking advantage of or making the other one more or less valuable. It just doesn't happen. And it, but there is a tendency for us to know that as husbands, you know what? <laughs> Sometimes I ain't so good with the feelings and the romance and the flowers and the cards. And you know what? That's important to a marriage. And so the scriptures say remember, husbands love. Love in such a way that you care about the well being of your wife. Not, her, not only her physical well being, uh, taking care. So many men are like, wife, well, provide, you know, I, I work and all that, but her emotional well being. Is she loved? Is she nurtured? Is she cherished? I need to hear those words and wives on the same same token. it can be evidently and i don't know i 'm not you know a woman, but um it can sense when what the scriptures say and what is the idea that women can when a marriage starts to get in a bad place, they become um uh uh i don't know what words to use without getting shot here, you know you know but um whatever you know uh You fill in the blank here. And yet, this is the call for us that the greater life is when this relationship has good harmony and we avoid these things that we can easily fall into. And I would remind you, what is the context of this whole book? Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit is in your life. And he can give you the strength. And I, as a married man of, it'll be 13 years in October. 13 years. (laughs) I have learned that without the help of the Holy Spirit in my life, I don't love my wife to the degree I should. I absolutely have to have the Spirit of God to be the kind of husband He calls me to be. And He calls me to this. He calls us to these understandings and and to be reminded, and yet it's always in the context of I can enable that to happen through the Spirit of God, which is in you. That's why I always start off my marriage counseling sessions with with this simple, this simple phrase, and then there were three. Because any marriage that's going to be lasting and fulfilling, you know, people get married, and then they just exist. God never intended. I'm afraid I've observed too many couples that are married, but they're just existing. God created marriage to be a companionship, a partnership that's rich and fulfilling and meaningful and I mean it's one of the greatest graces he's given to us but for that to happen and us just merely existing it takes his Holy Spirit giving me the strength and the ability to love my wife in such a way. Amen. I love her I, but I'm saying I just need his help to, keep, to go that step that causes her to be cherished, nurtured, loved. And the flip, the reverse is the same for women. Amen? Amen. All right, we can move on. Good. He switches now. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Again, it's this idea of obedience. There's a lot of different philosophies out there today, but the scriptures have always taught that children, and in the family context, are to learn obedience. Now, I'm not gonna attempt to get too presumptuous here. I'm just getting started, okay? I'm not gonna stand up here and, you know, talk about parenting when some of you could talk about it far greater than I ever could, okay? But the scriptures do tell us that it's crucial that kids understand obedience. Why? Because it creates the foundation for life, for a relationship with God, the lordship of Jesus. I always heard my mom say this. How in the world are you going to, to learn to walk and obey an unseen God if you can't learn to obey a seen mom or dad? Right? We create a culture where kids learn obedience because it's foundational. It's foundational for the rest of life. You're never gonna go anywhere where you're not gonna be subject to somebody, right? We're always are there's always somebody that we we are in a role of being obedient to. And so he says it's crucial in Christian homes and families that you teach obedience. I would say our prison system is full of people who were not disciplined and didn't learn to obey. That's been borne out. I could give you scientific, but, and so he says, listen, create, but guess what that takes? It takes the spirit of God helping us to be able to pull this off. And what's beautiful is he comes right back around. It's not some kind of, kids, you gotta obey your parents if you're gonna be in a Christian home. What does he do? The balance is always this. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It matters in the way that you parent. And it is important. I like MacArthur's list here of ways that you can embitter your kids. You can embitter them by overprotection. We got the whole phrase helicopter parents in our culture, right? You can, you can embitter kids by overprotecting them. You can embitter kids by favoritism. Obviously, scriptures are like full of that, right? One favored the other and it just created a mess. Jacob and Esau and all that. You can embitter your kids by discouragement. By just always being a discouraging word for your kid. They can't ever do it right. Uh, It just embitters them. Um, Not providing for needs, embitters them. No affection, not being affectionate can embitter them. Criticism, neglect, over-discipline. All these things can work to embitter your kids. And I'm telling you, I'm in this 10 years it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is to be a parent. And you know what I need? God's Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That's one of the things I cry out to God all the time about. Just help me to figure this out, Lord. They, they need for me to be the father that you called me to be. And all of us know we're not perfect, Right? Um, I've had to go back and say, listen, man, Keegan, I'm sorry. I I was too harsh with you. I I didn't understand what was going on, and I I reacted too fast. I was too harsh. That's what always happened to me. I mean, I always got blamed for, you know, (laughs) my sisters, you know. No. But that takes the Holy Spirit. Again, if this is going to happen and it needs to happen and it's what is so foundational and it's how he's going to transform our families and make them just greater, greater, it takes the Holy Spirit giving us to strengthen the ability. We need to rely on him to be the parents we should be to not embitter our kids or they will become discouraged. Okay, you're going to trust me on the next five verses it's about slaves and masters. Um, I'm reading this thinking, <laughs> what are we gonna learn from this? Um, but I do think there is something to be said. The principle is, in our culture, employee-employer relationships. He told a slave to be obedient, to be, to do, to be a slave to the best of your ability, is what he says. You be the best slave that that person has, and he says, "Slave owner, you be the best. You treat your slaves right." Okay, so for us, we're like, I don't, not not applicable to me, but I think the principle is the closest thing to us, and the principle would remain the same. As 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 employees, as employers, the greater way is that we we are the best employees we can be. We give, our, we give our companies our jobs and honest days work. We, we, we're good employers. What can be said of Christian people? They're good workers. They're good employees. They're honest. They're, inte- they're full of integrity. And they, they do the job that's been given to them. The same way employers, if you're a Christian employer, you treat your employers or your employees with fairness Dignity, respect. That's the principle he's saying. These are the greater ways. This is how it fleshes out. This is what I'm calling you to. This is what I want for you. And then he finishes by this chapter 4, verse 2 Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for me, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You see, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And it's like as he's finishing this book, he brings us back to the idea that all of us have been called to be his ambassadors. We are his his hands, feet, voice to the world. We are his children made to proclaim his good news. And he reminds him, listen, that as you're doing that, you you need to be people who are praying about the opportunities God might give you. You're praying, God, this week, give me an opportunity give me an opportunity, bring a conversation around, bring something around, yeah, my life shows it, right, amen, kind of hard to talk about Jesus when you live like the devil, right, not gonna go too far with people, but I'm praying, he's saying, listen, he's even praying, I'm praying that the Lord may open a door for me here, he's looking for opportunities, And he says that the way, he gives us instruction and the way that happens is we begin by praying for it. Have you done that? Do you do that? Do you start your week on Monday morning? If you're half awake, you know, right? Um, By saying, Lord, just give me an opportunity this week. Just give me one right now. Start with one. Lord, give me an opportunity to in some way, in some conversation, either at work or in the relationships I have, to be able to share your goodness, your grace, and your love with somebody. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, look for the opportunities. Be wise and see. And when it comes, be ready. Know exactly, hey, this is what I'm gonna share with them about Jesus Christ. And that's how he finishes. That's how we should finish, is what he has for us the greater God, the greater Jesus, who now is in our lives through his Holy Spirit and is doing greater works in us than ever could have happened in our own strength. We couldn't become the people he wants us to be. He finishes up by reminding them that, hey, pray, look, and seize opportunities you might have to share this greater Jesus with someone else. And so I, in that way, the last 11 verses are simply, Paul always says thank you to people. He always recognized he was on a team. He always recognized it was bigger than just him. And he always acknowledges people like that. What a way to live. What a person. What a reality. That's just the way we should always be, right? Um, I I wanted to get this picture. I haven't yet, but um, it's a turtle on a fence post. Have you ever seen that? It's just a turtle sitting on a fence post um, up in the air, and it simply says it's, just, it's supposed to remind you that that turtle never got to where he was by himself, obviously. And it's reminded all of us, none of us have got to where we're at by ourselves. people loving us around us, obviously God's grace primarily. but we always can point to people who have helped us who have encouraged us, who have been there for us. And and that's what Paul always does. He recognizes that it's bigger than just his ministry. And so that's the greater that Jesus has for us. He's it. We just need to make sure that his spirit is alive and well in us and he will bring about the greater life that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your truth. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we're people that we just, we just, we, we, we want to continue to grow in your grace. And that's why people are here this morning, because they, they yearn for you to continue to work in their lives. And Lord, as we just continue to bring truth in and, and help us to think about it and receive it, Lord, and then apply it, Lord, our lives, I know, I know, that you're, you're going to do, you are doing, and you're going to continue to do great things because you are the greater one. So Lord, we receive this truth today and we allow you to apply it to our hearts in whatever ways we need. And we thank you for the opportunity to have this abundant life in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.